Amen. Good morning. Good morning, Pillar Church. Pastor Canaan here. Go ahead and open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. Why do I say it like that? Because today, that last day, y'all, of the book of Galatians, chapter 6. So January 16th, 2022, we started this journey in the book of Galatians. January 16th, 2022. And today, December 11th, 2022, we'll mark our 32nd and last sermon in this series. And so God is gracious. God is kind. God is good. We're going to keep it rolling after this. Expect another 30. No, no, I don't know what's going to come. But go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter six. Now, as y'all are turning there, I want to bring your attention to this. Y'all recognize that at all? See, now I'm, da- I'm dating some of y'all. This for the old heads. This is a Wendy's commercial. I didn't want to get the commercial because y'all would never listen to the sermon just <laughs> laughing at the commercial all day. This is a Wendy's commercial from the 1980s. And who remembers, just go ahead and shout it out, who remembers the tagline? Where the beef? Yes, where's the beef? These three old ladies were hired to open up a sandwich. And, you know, they're making fun of other burger chains and other restaurants that give you a whole lot of bread, but not a, not a lot of burger. And so, so they're clowning and they're, and they're getting on the phone and they're calling the police and they're doing all kind of antics because they bought a burger and it ain't got no beef in it. I know some of y'all have done that. Um, you ever get shrimp, rice, shrimp, shrimp fried rice and there ain't no shrimp in it? Right? You get two pieces and you're like, you spend all that money on the shrimp. You ever get Kool-Aid at somebody's house, but they ain't put no sugar in it? If y'all don't know, that's you. If you're not laughing, you're the one. You always put sugar in Kool-Aid. At least a third of the thing, at least a third. We go to the restaurants, we get chicken tenders, but it's all bread, no chicken. Right? These are, guys, I'm sorry, you got to live in this world. We live in a world that is ruthless. It's hard out here. You know what's worse than all of those things? A church without a gospel. Unfortunately, that's real common. Is that we get together and we singing the sings and we doing the do's, but the proclamation of hope and mercy and peace found in the person and and, and sacrificial work of the person of Jesus Christ is not proclaimed, isn't said, isn't heralded, isn't the biggest topic on the day. A church without a gospel is worse than all of those other things, beloved. I pray that we never become a church without a gospel. And if we ever are to become a church without a gospel, all we need to do is open up to the book of Galatians and allow God through the Apostle Paul to check us. You ever heard this phrase? If you're a Christian and you went on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? See, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a people who he's praying that there's enough evidence to convict them of, their go- of the gospel in which they say they believe. 
you know, the book of Galatians was written to the people of Galatia. That's what we had in mind. But I think that the divine author had us in mind. And so we had better heed his counsel. The book of Galatians, if you remember, is a letter to a troubled church by a very concerned pastor. That's what is happening. It's a letter from a troubled church to a very concerned pastor. He's concerned because they're believing a suspect and fraudulent gospel. And it's hurting him all the more that this church, the church of Galatia, is believing this false gospel because the people of the church of Galatia are like his spiritual children. And we understand what that feels like. If you see your children making the same mistakes you make, that hurts when you watch them do it. And it's almost like you'll do anything necessary to keep your children walking in light. Well, Paul's watching his children walk into spiritual darkness from light. It's like when you have your children at home and everything is great, but the second they leave those doors, they're going to make their own decisions. And they're going to make decisions that we don't like, decisions that we're afraid they're going to make, we knew they were going to make, we prayed that they wouldn't make. And how much anguish that brings the heart and the soul because you're watching your child walk into something that you know better than, but they don't necessarily know. So Paul's sitting there from a distance writing this letter to the book of Galatians, to the church of Galatia, and he's begging them and pleading them, don't go down the road that these other individuals are trying to influence you to go down. I know that road. I come from that road. It's a dead end. You don't want to go there. There's no hope. There's no peace. There's no joy down that road. There's only trouble down that road. Paul speaks what we call the love language of warning. A warning is an incredible love language. Before we look at our text, let's see some of the warnings from the Apostle Paul. He starts off in chapter 1, verse 6. And he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ. What's the distortion? What's the other gospel? Beloved, 32 weeks we've been talking about this. There's a grouping of people coming into Galatia proclaiming that there is salvation only in the name of Jesus and obedience to the law. It's 1A and 1B together. And the component of the law that they have particularly pointed out that you have to do in order for God to accept you because they have a misunderstanding of how covenants work and how covenants develop is the the, the element of circumcision. God will reject you lest you get yourself circumcised and obey the rest of the law. So it's faith in Jesus plus faith in your own capabilities and your own human efforts that equals salvation according to them. And Paul's like, what have I taught you since youth, since since your inception? Salvation is by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If you're trusting in Jesus and you're trusting in yourself or the law, then you're effectively trusting in neither of them. He says in chapter five, he says, you were running well. You had it. What prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded that you will not accept any other view. 
Why is he so confident that they won't? Because he's trained them since they were, in, since they were born to believe the truth. But whoever it is that's confusing you, they need to go ahead and pay that penalty. Paul is warning his babies. And so the Apostle Paul takes the time in this book to lay out his defense. He, he clarifies two things. One is he clarifies the purpose of the law, which many of us don't know. There's several purposes of the law, but to put a, just a, a high level understanding of it, the law is not a ladder by which you climb to attain heaven. OK, so if you have, let's say, the Ten Commandments on your wall, you trying to keep them is not going to get you closer to God. You'll feel like you morally accomplished something, maybe. But what you'll probably find is that you can't keep them all. Not to mention the 600 plus laws of the old Mosaic covenant that they couldn't keep. And so if you try to do it as a ladder to attain access to God, it's one of them ladders that just keep on moving down like at the gym. You keep on pulling on it like this, but it keep on moving down and you never go anywhere ever. That's the law. When you use it wrong. The law was never intended to get you closer to God. That's not how you do it. The law was never meant to be a tool for salvation. The number one purpose of God's law is to point you to a savior. It's to show you that you could never meet or hold my standard. That's the first thing. There's more. The law was put in place to protect the seed that was promised from Adam and Eve to Abraham all the way to the person. There's other reasons, but what it's not, beloved, is a means to make God happy with you. It's a means to show you yourself, your flaws, that you need help. You need a savior. It's to remind you that you're not all that. The second thing he does after he shows us what the purpose of the law is, and we'll see that in chapter, we saw that in chapter three. He's directing us how we do get a right standing with God. This is what he says. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, them, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Remember, contextually, that yoke of slavery is the Mosaic law, but it's also a yoke of slavery under sin. You can apply it these ways. And he says, take note. I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. What's he saying? Go ahead and trust in yourself. Jesus does nothing for you at that point. That's why I said, if you trust in Jesus and you trust in yourself, you're trusting in neither. He's saying, go ahead, do it your way. Try to attain right standing with God on your own. Christ benefits you nothing. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's obligated to keep the entire law. And so what Paul is saying is, oh, you want to just obey this one element of circumcision? Nah, you can't do that. You got to take the whole thing or none of it at all. And so since you want to take a piece of it, go ahead and have the whole thing then. He says you're trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You've fallen from grace. Beloved, this is such an important concept. You don't have to earn a right standing with God. And as long as you try to, you'll never retain it. That's what he's saying. So stop with the good work trying to please God and trying to make him smile on you. What he wants is your heart. He wants you to trust him. 
Good works flow as a result of his transformation in you. You don't do it so that he likes you. You do it because you love him. It's the roles are reversed. Once you recognize what Jesus has done for you, good works just flow out of you. You can't help it. You just want to. You love the truth. You love the scriptures. You love the Savior. You love people. Not because anybody's watching. It's because Jesus redeemed your soul. And this is the outward expression of the inward reality. But if you're trying to be justified by the law, you're alienated from Christ. You've fallen from grace. It says, for we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. The, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Now we're at the end of this letter. And look what the, the last two lines the Apostle Paul writes to us. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. That's the words of a tired man. That's the words of a man who has been battling and fighting for truth for so long. And it's cost him a lot of anguish and pain. That's why I bring up the analogy of sending your child off to school because at the end of your letter, trying to warn your child, don't co-sign for your friend on their harebrained scheme on trying to come up, trying to save your credit score. After you said, don't hang out with them kids past this particular time, ain't nothing out at night but the devil and his demons. Right? You done, you done warned your child, no, don't go and smoke that. It's not a health food. That thing. After you done warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. Now you're like, baby, come on, don't cause me no trouble. Please, I'm begging you. Paul is feeling anguish in his soul. He's fearing, feeling weariness in his bones from warning the Galatians. He has both internal and external anguish, beloved. And this is why I ask you guys to pray for your pastors so regularly. Because your pastors feel a similar anguish to the Apostle Paul. Your pastors are feeling inner turmoil. In anguish and exterior turmoil in anger in anguish. Here's some of the weight that they feel, that Paul feels, that I feel, that your shepherds here feel. It says, We are imperfect men trying to lead imperfect people in an unforgiving culture. That's heavy. One mistake is off with your head. We have the weight of our people invariably on our backs. Not because you put it there, it's because it's what the call demands. I just have the weight. Eric just has the weight. He just cares about you. He just loves you. So when you're not right, he's not right. The Apostle Paul and your elders and churches of, across, they have the eyes of scrutiny always gazing on them. They have wolves and false teachers and ungodly influences and tragedies always nipping at the heels of their people. You know how much I worry about y'all when y'all go out to the shopping malls and stuff? Because all the cults that are emboldened out there. Sometimes, I just heard a story this morning. 
A dude went to Walmart and encountered a cult and engaged them. My mind is always thinking, Lord, please don't let them be swayed by that foolishness. And I'm always nervous. Who they're hanging around? Who, what, who's influencing them? And then we have our own marital problems, our own parental trials, our own things going on, our own houses falling down. And then, as we'll see the Apostle Paul allude to later, we have the internal stress of knowing that Satan is always lurking to take you and me out of the game. So pray. Prayer is your greatest weapon in this spiritual war. Prayer is the means that your, your pastors will stand, that you will stand. The Apostle Paul has called his churches constantly to pray, pray, pray. That the eyes of the, 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 the eyes of, what was it, the eyes of their soul will be enlightened. In Ephesians it says. The Apostle Paul and your elders, we don't want you to cause any trouble. Unless it's good trouble. Shout out to the, to the thank John Lewis, let's go. That was a good phrase. What Apostle Paul wants his church to do and what your elders want you to do is threefold. The first thing we want you to do is just simply believe the gospel. Believe the reality that you have grace and forgiveness in the person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ by faith. That by entrusting, turning, following Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness of your sins and you are made whole in the sight of God. You are clear in his sight because you believe him. First step. That means no one can shame you anymore because you're clear before God. It means you don't walk around with the burden of trying to atone for your own sin because you're clear before God. It means that you ain't listening to the nonsense these other people talking about because you've been forgiven by the one and true living God. You good if you just believe on Jesus and Jesus alone. You're clear. That takes some of that weight off. Secondly, share what this God has done for you. And share that it was not of your own doing. It's the doing and the work of Jesus Christ who did it all for you. The third thing is to live in light of the freedom you have in Christ. To let your light shine for justice and truth in this fallen world. That's what Paul wanted for his babies in Galatia, and that's what our desire is for you as a church. Believe the gospel, share the gospel, live in light of the gospel. In the first century, the message of freedom in Christ was not a popular notion. It wasn't popular for two particular groups in general. Well, that doesn't make sense. Two particular groups. Does that make sense? There were two groups in particular that it wasn't generally popular, popular with. There you go. Y'all follow. Y'all follow. Listen. The first is the government. The government hates the gospel of Christ because it no longer calls you to bend the knee to Caesar. Now you're bending the knee to Christ. So whatever Christ says, we do. That's petrifying. That's scary to any, try to rule anything and then say that they have a different leader than you. And so they got to, they got to stomp that out. But not only does the, and that's funny, the government still hate Christianity, don't it? Because any particular moral truth that the, that the church stands on, all of a sudden the government going to try to legislate against it. This is what's going to happen. And just be ready for it. And just say no. 
I've said this before. I don't care if you left, left, right, Democrat, Republican. We go where the scriptures go. If it, if it turn left, we turn left. If it turn right, we turn right. If it lean progressive, we progressive. If it lean conservative, we conservative in the mug. Whatever the scriptures say, we do. The rest we say no. We don't say it roughly. We don't say it harshly. We don't throw a rock or a stone. We simply stand and say, you are not my king. I have a different one. Government don't want to hear that, though. We all finna go to jail. I see y'all. I see y'all in there. <laughs> see y'all in jail, man. The government doesn't want to lose civic control. The second group of people that hate it are the religious leaders. They hate it because they too lose power, but they lose control, and more than that, they lose money. They lose money. Why? Because there's no more temple sacrifices. Remember, they used to purchase the sacrifices from the religious leaders and then offer them a sacrifice. And then they would leverage them with fear tactics to keep the people in check. That dove wouldn't cry good enough. I don't know. We're going to have to do some other form of penitence. So in order to get rid of these threats, the government and the religious leaders of the day seek to stomp out and eliminate any Christian leader by force. And that's why Paul says what he's about to say. He says, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Now, this is interesting. This word, for mar this word marks right here, first of all, when we read this, it's almost like we kind of know what he's saying. But don't let nobody twist you. This word for marks is, in the original language is stigmata. You ever heard of stigmata? See, y'all start thinking about that old 90s movie, that trash 90s horror movie. Right. The, the concept of stigmata, as far as the coach is concerned, is when all of a sudden you have on your body the marks of Jesus literally on you and you feel its pain and you're screaming and bleeding all over the place. And so it makes it a scary. Do you remember the 90s movie? They tried to remake it. It was trash, too. Especially when they put the mark right here. When in that culture, this is the palm. And this can't hold the weight of the body. It has to be here, for which there's a hole through which his bones were not broken because the nail went through it. Anyway, they don't know what they're talking about. Don't believe the nonsense. Okay? So the word is stigmata, and it's not what those movies were talking about, and it's not what, you know, a, a lot of our, 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 our friends in a different persuasion were, uh, adopted from St. Francis, that when he was done speaking with the angel, he had these marks on his body and he is somehow a special minister of the gospel all them dudes is full of seaweed don't believe none of them that's not what paul's talking about when paul says that he bears on his body the marks of jesus he's saying that he literally shares in the sufferings of christ because his christianity was a threat to the established order when your Christianity is a threat to the established order, there will be a particular type of mark upon you by which the enemy desires to shut you down. And if you have not been attempted to have your, your mouth zipped for the sake of the gospel, you probably never say anything about the gospel. You are no threat. When Paul says my body has the marks of Christ, he's saying that my gospel put on trial had enough evidence to convict me of. You never get no smoke for your faith. Think about why. Why? 
because we're taught share the gospel at all times when necessary use words that's demonic the gospel's words that speak of a truth it says the gospel comes to you by hearing and hearing of the word of God these letters that the apostles are writing are being written they've been read by one person to a group a church hearing I want to encourage you before we go anywhere else in the sermon consider what makes your lips so tight when it comes to faith in your God is it the devil's work of shame thinking you're not good enough to share the gospel could be could it be your fear that you don't know enough apologetic rhetoric to be able to defend the gospel if someone has a contradiction against it could be but beloved the gospel breaks down both of those because the gospel doesn't lift you up so there's no shame. It's like, yes, I'm a fallen, broken sinner in need of Christ as much as you are a fallen, broken sinner in need of Christ. And it doesn't say that people are saved by, by apologetic argument, which I love. They're saved by the gospel of Christ that breaks through the heart and penetrates the mind, no matter the argumentation against it. Just consider why. Paul was both confronted against verbally and physically. But in this particular context, obviously, he's talking about his body bearing marks. What kind of marks did the Apostle Paul bear? Let's look. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. It's going to get a little morbid. Just letting y'all know. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And when they went over the crowds, they stoned Paul. And dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Y'all familiar with ancient stoning? It's very technical. They take a rock and they throw it at you. <laughs> now here's the reality. We're thinking of little kids hurling rocks the size of a size of a golf ball. Oftentimes they would push you to a lower altitude. 15 to 20 feet below wherever the people were. And then they would grab rocks, literally the size of your head or bigger. And they would hurl them down upon you with two hands, maximum squat, down on your body. And if they happen to miss your head or your heart, they would hit your elbows and your knees and shatter your bones immediately. Stoning's rugged. Stoning is, you don't stone your worst enemy. They do. They lost power, they lost control, they lost money. That's enough to make somebody stone. When Paul says that on his body he, marks the, 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 he has the marks of Christ, he's talking about his body getting stoned by haters of the gospel. Now, if that was our reality, I'd be like, guys, I know it's scary out there. We got to preach, we got to speak. But that ain't none of our realities. No one will stone you physically. They'll hurl shots at you on Twitter, but that's as much as you got. You might lose favor with the culture, but that's as much as you got. Your political affiliation might disown you, but that's as much as they got. It almost just brings into, the, brings into perspective a little bit. Luke writes about when Paul and Silas were walking through a particular area, says, as we were on our way to prayer, 
a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. Y'all see some slavery? Double. As she followed Paul, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, they are the servants of the most high God. She did this for many days. Now just look at this. She's being overrun by the spirit who's predicting a false future. And she's being owned and being used to make a profit for her owners. She's in a bad spot. She's following and crying out that these men, Paul and Silas, are proclaiming the way of salvation and their servants of the most high God. And she did this for many days. Paul got annoyed. You got to love the text. Y'all read right over that, don't you? No, Paul got annoyed. Like, that's what it means annoyed in Greek. He was like, ah. Every time we try to preach, he out back here. It's the most high God. Ah. Paul got annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out right away. Now, peep game. She's been set free, both spiritually and physically. When the owners realized that their hope of profit was gone. Y'all see what happened now? Everything was all good just a week ago. They were making their money. They didn't really care what was happening. As soon as their pockets got involved, though. Problems. As soon as they realized that the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, drugged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. See how they're going? No, they ain't disturbing the city. They're disturbing you and your money. They're Jews and they're promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt and practice. That's true. What's the custom they're promoting? The worship of Jesus Christ exclusive, not Caesar. It's a problem for their government. So they snitch them. They snitch on them. Verse 22, the crowds joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. You ever been beaten with rods because of your gospel? It says after they had severely 